Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Welcome. This is Nancy, your host here at Aging Life Network. Today, we are talking about a type of trust that is used as a way of maintaining or qualifying for public benefits. I wanted to do a show about this type of trust for a few reasons. First is the fact that nearly one million millennials today are caring for boomer boomer parents. And then there are those of you who have siblings with special needs and whose parents may or may not have known of such trusts as an estate planning tool. It might be something that you can inform them about. There are also those of you caring for a loved one who has experienced a personal injury and perhaps have such trust in place, but you don't quite understand it. And as you will learn more about today, this is a trust vehicle that can be used in estate planning to provide for loved ones in the event you die before them. For you and others simply wanting to know more, you have not only come to the right place today, but you're about to learn about special needs trust from two of the most knowledgeable and experienced professionals I know that create and work with these trusts every day. I am delighted that John Atwood and Susan Tamita are here with me and here with us today. John has been a trust officer administering special needs trust for the last 14 years. He is nationally, he's a nationally certified guardian and a graduate of the American Bankers Association Intermediate and Advanced Trust School. John's work and passion has been utilizing trust assets to enhance the life of those with special needs, including those with developmental disabilities, elders suffering from cognitive impairment, and those with severe personal injuries. He has been a leader in the community, serving on several boards over the years, including the ARC of New Mexico, the Alzheimer's Association, and the Estate Planning Council. Joining John and I today is Susan Tomita, an attorney who has been committed to the practice of elder law for most, if not all, of her law career, which goes back to 1979. Susan is the lawyer other attorneys call and turn to when a question arises regarding Medicaid and special needs trusts. Like John, Susan has been a leader in the professional community, serving as chair of the elder law section of the state bar and co-author of a handbook for guardians and conservators, a practical guide to New Mexico law. Susan is also committed to community service, serving on several nonprofit boards, focusing on care of children and the homeless. Susan is the recipient of the Archdiocese of Santa Fe's St. Francis Award and the St. Bernadette Institute's Mother Teresa Award. I am honored to have both of you here with me today. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's good to be here. (laughs) Good. Uh, My format today will be different from what I've done thus far in the show. I will be talking with both Susan and John together, rather than conducting back-to-back interviews. 
We're calling it a conversation, though I'm probably going to direct a question to one or the other of you initially, and then, you know, each of you are welcome to, you know, just don't talk over each other or interrupt. No, I'm kidding. Um, we are calling it, uh, and, and please don't attack the moderator. We are calling it a conversation, although I'm... <laughs> Sorry, I lost my place here and my train of thought. Um, so this is a first time for me, so we'll see how it goes. I'd like to start with you, however, Susan, as I think it's important that we get some context around trusts in general and specifically around um, special needs trusts in particular, how they're structured, how they're used. Um, and John, of course, you're welcome to comment anytime. Okay, well, thank you very much. You know, trust, the, the word trust is sometimes confusing to people, but really all it is is the way of one person who's the trustee managing assets for the benefit of somebody else who's the beneficiary. And then what we call the trust document is really the instructions to the trustee regarding how they are to manage the assets and what kind of distributions can be made. So that's really all a trust is. Special needs trusts are sort of um, particular kinds of trusts that are intended to allow people to be uh, the beneficiary of assets but still preserve their eligibility for certain public benefits that are based on need. And the, um, I think the most common public benefits that are based on need are supplemental security income or SSI and Medicaid, which is a medical program that's also based on need, they need to be really um, distinguished from Social Security retirement or Social Security disability income or SSDI and Medicare, both of which are generally not based on need. So you don't need a special needs trust in order to qualify for SSDI and Medicare but you would need one in order to have assets and qualify for SSI and Medicaid. So, Within the umbrella mm -hmm. of special needs trusts, there's two major types of special needs trusts. One is what we call a first-party trust or a self-created trust, and that's where the person that wants to qualify for SSI or Medicaid sets up a trust with their own assets. And because they're using their own assets, there's some really special rules that apply. Um, they have to be under the age of 65 when they set up and fund the trust, and Medicaid has to be a remainder beneficiary for up, for up to whatever it paid out for the individual. The other type of trust, though, which is actually more common, are what we call third-party trusts, and they are trusts that are set up by somebody who doesn't need the benefits themselves but wants to benefit somebody else that is receiving needs-based benefits. The most common is parents that are setting up a trust for their child. And those third-party trusts don't have any age limitations. So you can be over the age of 65, and, um, you know, there's no Medicaid payback. And as a practical matter, as I think John will confirm, um, the administration of those trusts are more relaxed than they are for the first-party trusts because you don't have Medicaid, you know, watching what you spend because they're the remainder beneficiary. Ah. So there's a lot more you can do with those trusts. So that's so, kind of a, I think, an overview. Okay. 
So let me summarize uh, f- uh, from the layperson perspective. So um, the trust, it's sort of like, like a power of attorney is another kind of legal document. So it's simply a legal document um, called a trust that um, is written in such a way that the trustee follows certain instructions. And again, that's similar to a power of attorney. I mean, there can be instructions in that. So it's just another legal instrument um, called a trust. And this is a particular kind. And people often use it to maintain qualifications really for Medicaid and SSI purposes and any other local um, income and asset eligible <laughs> benefits that would be provided. Um, let, let me so, yeah, jump John. in here if I could um, and, and focus just a moment on who the importance of the selection of the trustee uh, for, for these types of trusts or really for any type of trust that would be established. But um, oftentimes a family member is, uh, is appointed in the document and sometimes family members are appointed that aren't even really aware that they've been appointed or are uh, interviewed by the uh, the folks that are establishing the trust. So sure. if it's a family member, certainly uh, discuss whether they want to do that. Uh, oftentimes it may be a sibling for a disabled uh, brother or sister. And right. does that does the sibling appointed as the trustee really want to step into that role? The role of trustee is that that weird um, term we use, throw around a lot in the, the, the banking world and in the financial world, and that's the term fiduciary. So uh, the trustee is a fiduciary. They are to manage the assets and administer the trust in, uh, in, in the best interest of the beneficiary, not in the trustee's best interest, which oftentimes gets confused when the trustee may not be aware of uh, that role and the importance, sure. the legal importance of the role of serving as a fiduciary. Well, and it's probably a good time to say that um, uh, this is sort of jumping ahead, but there is a... Um, there is a national organization called the Special Needs Alliance, and they do have uh, an instruction manual, if you will, although I agree that... Um, and it's if, free, Nancy. What is? The it, uh, handbook for the trustee from Special Needs Alliance is Yes, free. yes, it, it's downloadable. Yes, thank you. And, um, you know, but I think that um, absolutely... Um, it is complicated to, uh, there are a lot of rules uh, around the, this particular trust. And as Susan said, um, if it's a trust that was set up with the assets of the individual then, um, and they're under age 65, then you've got Medicaid watching uh, and wanting to, um, they don't approve what you spend the money on, but they're very watchful, particularly later down the road when that the, the person dies and Medicaid comes looking to be reimbursed for what they've spent. Um, and um, I'm interested in the second um, type of trust. Um, what did you call it, Susan? 
third party? Um, a third party trust. A third party, because um, we were talking earlier, Susan and I, before the before we started the show, and I, um, you know, I, even though I've been in this business a long time, I um, get confused about the age. Um, you know, and, and there are nuances we probably won't even get to today, frankly. I mean, mm-hmm. if one wants to set up this trust, one really should go to the Special Needs Alliance and look at the directory of attorneys and find somebody locally and et cetera, et cetera. But um, um, that trust in part- was particularly interesting because we discussed the fact that an adult child could, in their estate plan, could... Um, um, name a parent, conceivably, an older parent that they're caring for, that they're assisting financially, they could name them and set up a special needs trust at, if they were to predecease their parent. And then at the end of their parent's life, those assets could go to someone else, conceivably. Can you speak to that a little bit, Susan? I, I thought that was a pretty interesting Yeah, that's correct, and it's not all that unusual. I have clients that are helping support their parents, and they're concerned that if they passed away, you know, that source of support would not be there. So what they'll do is they'll take a part of their estate, maybe X amount of dollars, and put it in a special needs trust for the benefit of their parent, and then perhaps have another sibling or somebody else serve as trustee. But then they can provide, because they're setting it up, um, that whatever is left when the parent dies will go to their, you know, their own children or any other beneficiaries they want. Um, mm-hmm. so, that, so that's entirely um, something that can be done. The other thing that can be done mm-hmm. is that if you have husband and wife and one of them qualifies for Medicaid, the other um, spouse could choose through a will, it has to be done through a will in this case, set up a special needs trust for their spouse. So that if they died first, which is, you know, unfortunately not that unusual, you know, the monies will be there to supplement um, the needs of the spouse. Right. So if, um, right, so the community spouse is allowed to keep X number of dollars under certain impoverishment rules and rather than have those dollars now become <clears throat> part of the, the, hus- the husband or wife's assets and losing Medicaid, um, yeah, this vehicle would um, allow them to have the assets available. And uh, interesting. Okay. So, um, hmm, John, I know that uh, we've only got a couple minutes. We're going to go to our first break. And I wanted you to talk about some of the things that people can and cannot um, use these funds for. And I know that, uh, you know, it used to be that you couldn't use it for housing at all. And now we have this ABLE account, which sort of filled that gap. And so you're going to get to tell us about that connection of the two. Um, Good. Yeah. Sounds good. And how many minutes do I have? Just a little bit longer before break? You have two minutes. Two minutes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Susan, earlier talked about the first party special needs trusts are oftentimes uh, what we 
find our Medicaid, what we call Medicaid payback trust, where the uh, the state in which uh, the beneficiary lives is required at their uh, passing to have that uh, the the uh, the Social Security uh, income support division or whatever it is in your state um, to look back and see as as Nancy and Susan has talked about to see what has been spent on that particular uh, individual beneficiary. So. Uh, there'll be an opportunity for me here in just a few minutes, I think, to discuss in a little more depth what uh, what you can and cannot do with those uh, trusts that have to be looked at by Social Security. Yes, and um, we are going to go to break. It's a 90-second break, and so I hope the two of you will sit tight and and uh, we will be right back with John Atwood and Susan Tanita. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, thanks for coming back. And um, I'm here with John Atwood and Susan Tamita. We're discussing special needs trust today. Uh, before the break, we I uh, left John, who was about to talk about the types of things one can um, use the uh, assets in such a trust for, um, and the things that you need to be careful about. So, how about it, John? Good deal. Good deal. Well, this is the fun part for me because it gives me an opportunity to look at if I were trustee and I am on many different trusts. But as I look at the language in the trust, Susan had mentioned earlier in our conversation that it's really the, the trust is the roadmap for the trustee. So the trustee follows the roadmap, and if there are uh, what they call uh, fancy legal term dispositive provisions or how the trustee is supposed to distribute 
the the uh, the assets or the money in the trust to purchase different items. Uh, they follow that. They should follow that carefully. Um, I am uh, a trustee that sort of always looks outside the box. So um, oftentimes I have clients that receive Medicaid and Medicaid oftentimes a very state to state in terms of what they cover, what they will cover and what they will uh, purchase for an individual in terms of therapies and equipment and wheelchairs and these kinds of, of uh, items for a disabled individual. But I, when I have a special needs trust that really supplements or enhances the life of the beneficiary, I, as a trustee, like to look at that document and say, these are all the things we can do. Uh, so in addition to Medicaid, what else can we do to enhance this person's life? And so um, mm -hmm. oftentimes the, uh, when Susan writes a document, she'll be very specific and, and get specific about the trustee can uh, utilize the trust ads for vacations, for um, assisted therapies, for, mm -hmm. for thera therapies themselves, for um, uh, televisions. And I remember, uh, uh, I think, Susan, one of your earlier documents said a reel-to-reel -reel tape uh, uh, <laughs> recorder. Um, so I, I'm not sure whether that dates you. Um, I don't that think way. that was me. I think it dates both of oh, you. Oh, well, that, that was somebody else, yes. So, I mean, as, as uh, we progress in technology, the, some of the terms of those trusts change. But, but uh, when, I, when I'm a trustee, I look at, I uh, have an individual right now that hasn't been, because of COVID, hasn't been on a trip anywhere. So uh, uh, outside the state, taking a plane ride, taking a, a, a cruise, which is probably, uh, I, I don't want to speak for the cruise lines or those opposed to taking cruises, but you know, those are options as, as this COVID things uh, uh, is, uh, is addressed. But think outside the box as a trustee. Uh, what did, if the person was disabled later in life, uh, what did they enjoy doing prior to be to their disability? And maybe go back and do some of the things that you mm -hmm. have discovered that that, that beneficiary may enjoy. So um, <laughs> it, oftentimes it's really wide open. Uh, think outside the box in terms of additional therapies, um, uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech and language. Um, I had a client, just real quick example, I had a, a quadriplegic client and uh, sometimes a special needs trust trustee will want to purchase a pet for a, a, a disabled individual. And oftentimes mm -hmm. it's a dog or a cat, um, possibly a, a hamster or uh, something, uh, something that would stimulate and enhance the life of the, the, uh, the, tr the beneficiary. So this particular individual uh, enjoyed fish prior to his, uh, he had a, a motor vehicle accident. And so the trustee purchased a, a monstrous saltwater fish tank that was maintained by a professional fish tank maintenance company. And yes. it was placed by his bed. He was a quadriplegic. And so yes. he gets to enjoy uh, whenever he wants to uh, watch and enjoy fish interact that are beautiful. Uh, mm -hmm. Right beside his mm -hmm. bed. So, mm -hmm. um, think outside the box. Really, are, would be my uh, my my right. So, for our um, older clients, our elderly clients, um, or loved ones, um, caregiving is um, is that an acceptable expense? 
hiring mm-hmm. caregivers, mm-hmm. Um, fo- folks that can take them out and take them on outings to the zoo or or the museum or et cetera. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's important to understand um, the needs and, and yes, um, all of those therapies. And um, of course, the trust would pay for those things not covered under Medicare or Medicaid. Correct. Correct. Um, but um, do you sometimes use professionals to evaluate needs like a private care manager, a community-based professional to, I, or a nurse care manager to evaluate needs? Absolutely. It's one of the, the most basic uh, uh, opportunities I have as a, tr- as a professional trustee to bring in, if, the, if there are uh, adequate assets in the trust, to bring in a care management company, a, a guardian mm-hmm. case management company, a nurse case management company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the opportunity with uh, an individual to actually uh, start from scratch with uh, building their home, bringing in a, a special needs a disabilities architect to help design the home. Where should the windows go for this individual that was mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. disabled and, and bedridden? Uh, access, a caregiver. Uh, so those uh, would be the larger right, settlement, right. Sure, settlement sure. cases. Um, but speaking of the home, um, I, um, even for myself, who, um, you know, has been in the financial world around aging, um, the whole issue of the home uh, was for a long time very complicated um, for trustees to deal with because you might um, somehow a, per- a home can be purchased, but only at certain points. So you might address that. But also um, it used to be very difficult to maintain the home. What, where are we now with um, our national laws around that? Yep. Susan, Yes. Yeah, I, I wanted to point out, I, I guess, um, that it, it does vary from state to state. And New Mexico, okay. unfortunately, has historically been uh, not really very generous with home expenditures. I mm. think in most states, what is prohibited when you say you can't make housing expenditures are what um, Social Security defines as housing expenditures, which are rent, mortgage, utility payments, um, real estate taxes, you know, homeowners insurance under certain circumstances. But it, mm-hmm. it's fairly limited. New Mexico has had a broader definition and for a while didn't allow people to purchase houses or to, um, you know, do repairs, you know, change, you know, fix the roof, that sort of thing. But I think we were relatively, um, you know, um, difficult about those sort of things. I think it is expanding. Um, and, and John can talk to uh, and address ABLE accounts, which even in New Mexico has, has made the management of these trusts so much doable, you know, given us a lot more flexibility. Right. So again, it's, it's that moment to say that you, you want to talk to somebody state-specific for those nuances, but um, but the ABLE account is, and again, the ABLE account, um, I mean, it's a national concept, but each state has been setting it up differently or separately. Is that what, could we say that? Can you speak to ABLE, John? Oh, well, uh, yes. I, in fact, can I back up just a moment? I wanted to make sure everyone had the website for the Special Needs Alliance, and then I wanted to kind of jump 
jump in if I could take the ABLE account. Um, mm -hmm. The Special Needs Alliance can be found on uh, just Google uh, Special Needs Alliance, specialneedsalliance.org. That's their, uh, their website, www.specialneedsalliance.org. Susan, in fact, is one of the two, two members in New Mexico of Special Needs Alliance, along with Nell Graham Sale. So mm -hmm. uh, just, it's really easy. You just, it says, find an attorney, you go to the state, uh, the, the map of the United States and click on your state. And there are different uh, attorneys that are listed there. Um, I think personally, uh, New Mexico has uh, two of the most attractive attorneys uh, with Susan and, and Nell. So you, you, I'm not sure you want to pick your attorney based on their attractiveness, but um, <laughs> that's just something I observed. So, so uh, specialneedsalliance.org, a great, great resource for you. Uh, the uh, to to move on to the ABLE account. Uh, ABLE stands for uh, Achieve a Better Life, and I, I, I'm not sure what uh, what better way to what better acronym there might be for someone that's interested in in utilizing their assets uh, and protecting their assets for uh, their their uh, loved one through this ABLE account. So. You are able, it's a, the, the bill in Congress named it uh, uh, Achieve a Better Life ABLE account. It is a, a national uh, resource for anyone in any state. Uh, most states have adopted uh, the, uh, the rules and the resources around the ABLE account, and some states are utilizing other states' uh, resources uh, and organization wow. to, to assist them. So, again, uh, you can Google ABLE account and you'll find uh, YouTubes on this. Uh, the, there's a, uh, a resource uh, available on the internet to le learn and understand more about the ABLE account. You can take, let's say for instance, $15,000 a year, up to $15,000 a year from a special needs trust and you can put it into after establishing an ABLE account. So they're really, the, the uh, ABLE account is uh, established by one of three people, the parent of the disabled individual, the disabled individual themselves, or the guardian of the disabled individual. So those are the three folks that can, that can establish that. Sometimes it's difficult for the individual and the family to navigate through the website to establish, in, in essence, sort of a bank account, uh, a savings account that can be used for their needs. So uh, I have uh, on several occasions invited the individual, disabled individual in and the uh, parent, and then we've sat down together at the table and navigated this system. It's not real difficult, uh, but there are questions like how do you want the, uh, the assets invested and what type of portfolio, and it gets a little mm -hmm. complicated, but mm -hmm. not something that someone that's, uh, maybe your financial advisor could help you with this, but to establish the account has to be the individual, the parent, or the guardian. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, and what's the purpose of the ABLE account? Yes, Susan. Did well, you want to I was going to mention add? that the IRS just issued its final regulations on the ABLE account last Thursday. So, um, and they, they actually expanded the people that can open an account to include, um, Thank you. You know, I, I don't have the list right in front of me, but I, I, I remember a representative payee, um, I think, I'm not sure, I'd have to look it up, but they, they 
there are now, I think, five or six different individuals that can actually open an Enable account for a person, but it's an order of priority. So if someone of lower priority is going to open the account, they have to certify under penalty of perjury that all of the people of higher priority um, can't uh, do it for some reason okay. because they want to make sure you can only have one ABLE account, that multiple ABLE accounts aren't open. But, but that's a really recent change. And the only reason why I know of that is that I, uh, I'm doing some materials for a talk I'm giving in a couple of weeks. Well, thank I you for updating me. And, and what's the purpose of the ABLE account? The, the ABLE account is utilized with assets to provide more flexibility to the uh, beneficiary of the ABLE account. To uh, one example, I had a client in uh, Kansas that utilized it for uh, taxes on a home, uh, maintenance on the home. I bought a, a lawnmower for them so they can mow the yard um, or, or have the yard maintained, uh, uh, paint, painted the house. Um, so, so in terms of allowing uh, these assets to be used up to $15,000 a year and with a maximum amount that you can put in the account of $100,000. Um, unless that's changed, Susan, I think that's still still the case. You can have up to $100,000 in that account. So you can have up to $100,000 with, without interfering with your SSI benefits. That's if right. it's more than $100,000, your SSI is, is suspended until you get under $100,000. So the ABLE account was set up to get around some of the special needs trust rules, which disallowed expense, certain expenses, and the ABLE allows for some of those expenses to be covered. Is that? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I think I... would get around, I would say. Oh, okay. Uh, help we to navigate through. Navigate through. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Six of one. Um, um, all right. And I think I've even seen, I think um, if a, um, you know, if a person is, uh, let's say, a developmentally disabled, a person with developmental disabilities who also maintains a job, um, you know, they can earn up to a certain amount. Can't, can some of those funds go into the ABLE? Susan? Susan? Yes, that's right. And unfortunately, I should have had um, the exact figures. But if you're employed, in addition to the 15000 that you can, can fund the ABLE account, there's another, I think it's approximately $7,000 um, that okay. can go into the account from the employment earnings. Well, I think it's important that people just know that that, that, is, that, that is something that can be, yeah, addressed. Um, Okay, and what I think what I would also, we, we've just got one minute left before our second and final break, but um, I think it would be helpful to talk about um, folks that have smaller trusts and um, that they are trying to manage or where, where they can seek out um, trustees, either for larger trusts with institutions like your own, John, John, and, you know, how they find trustees who specialize in this, really. And then also folks with smaller trusts who can look to some of the nonprofits that have pooled trusts. So perhaps um, uh, um, when we come back, we can 
discuss that? Yeah, let's let's do. Uh, let's I serve do. as a treasurer for uh, a nonprofit organization called the ARC of New Mexico here in New mm-hmm. Mexico, and there mm-hmm. the ARC is around. It's a national organization around the country, and uh, they certainly offer uh, some of the services you've been talking about through a pooled what's called a pooled trust. And I'm sure Susan can help us understand right. what that means. And that's regardless of the age or, or particular disability of the individual, correct? That, that's have- correct, except that in some states, including New Mexico, if you fund it, if, if it's first party monies, your own monies, you can't fund it after you're 65 because it's considered a gift transfer. I, yes, so let's talk about that when we come back. That's That sounds complicated. All right. Great. Uh, we'll be back in 90 seconds. I'm here with Susan and John, and we're talking about special needs trusts. Um, come on back. Thanks. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Nancy. I'm here with John Atwood and Susan Tomita, and we are discussing special needs trusts. And while we were on break, Susan... um, was um, telling me she wanted to correct a few numbers. And so um, I think uh, it'd be important for some people that, and for Susan, that she do that. Susan, Yeah, I, I kind us? of misspoke in, in the amount of that you can uh, contribute if you're employed. If you're employed, you can contribute wages of up to an additional $12,140. Um, in addition to the $15,000 that you can put in of unemployed, of not employment income. So it's up to $27,140 per year in the contiguous 48 states. Under the new IRS regulation, um, you know, the states like Alaska and Hawaii that have a higher 
cost of living will have a somewhat higher um, figure that can be contributed. Um, the, the other figure was that um, if you, you, you know, you're limited to the 15000 plus the employment up to 12000 that you can put into the ABLE account, if it accumulates above the 100000 then your SSI is suspended until it's under, but your Medicaid can continue. For example, if you're receiving Medicaid waiver benefits, there's a total lifetime limit, which is, again, kind of a state-by-state type thing that's tied to what you can contribute to college savings plans. So, for example, in New Mexico, the total lifetime limit is 468000 So, you know, you can accumulate quite a bit in an ABLE account without losing your Medicaid benefits. Okay. Again, I, I'm still a little um, fuzzy on uh, outside of housing, um, is that really the priority for the ABLE? Um, are there other um, expenditures that people use ABLE for? When, uh, as a trustee for many years, working with Special Needs Trust, the, the, it used to be uh, clothing uh, is a no-no, any type of clothing from a Special Needs Trust. Mm. Uh, the uh, Anything... Uh, regarding shelter and anything regarding food. So your social security check was supposed to cover those things. Well, I, I don't know how long ago, Susan, they removed the food, the shelter um, restriction, or I'm sorry, the clothing oh, restriction. Yeah, the clothing restriction. So it was great because uh, we had uh, individuals that really had custom, needed custom clothing. Uh, I, I, know, I remember one individual that needed a, a suit, uh, basically a one piece suit that zipped up the back. And so it had to be custom tailored for, for him uh, because of some of the issues that uh, he had with, with, certain, with just normal clothing. So, um, so they lo- uh, released that restriction on clothing, and then you still had to watch uh, food and shelter. And then this ABLE account really opens up um, the opportunity for the beneficiary to expend those, that $15,000 a year for really anything that's uh, even even uh, food, and then as we've talked about, shelter, uh, utilities, and, and that type of thing. But they could purchase uh, food, special food that they needed, um, uh, oftentimes out of the special needs trust, but they could, um, and Susan, maybe you can elaborate on that. Um, besides food, what other items do you, do you see the ABLE account used for? Okay. Well, well, one thing I wanted to add, too, is that right now you have to have had been disabled before the age of 26. So for a lot of our, our seniors, oh, um, you oh. know, they, they're, they're not able to have ABLE accounts. There's legislation pending to increase that to 46, and apparently it has a lot of support. So we're hopeful that that will happen. The other major thing, though, that the ABLE account allows people to do is to have spending money. You know, in the old days, you couldn't distribute monies directly to the beneficiary, but now under some ABLE programs, you can get a, the beneficiary can get a debit card. So they could go to the movies or, well, not that anybody goes to movies anymore, but, you know, go out to dinner or, um, you know, and, and just use their, um, their, their debit card. It's, it's just a wonderful, you know, um, standard of living type change for people. 
Susan, I'm so glad you mentioned the debit card because both John and I are huge proponents of a new type of card called a TrueLink card provided by TrueLink Financial. And they have actually um, just come on board with me and this show to be my first national sponsor. I'm very excited to have them as a partner. Um, But the TrueLink card, I mean, John, you can speak to it as well. It it has really changed um, the work of those assisting people with finances. So can you speak to it? Yes, I, I, I'd love to. Uh, I'm, I'm one of their biggest cheerleaders. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a tremendous organization. TrueLink Financial, I'm going to do a little mini infomercial, I guess you could call it for them, because I really uh, have, have uh, utilized this resource and appreciated this resource for, I think I'm, I ran into them at the Stetson Special Needs Conference five, six years ago and down in Florida, and they are a, a tremendous organization. So they provide a Visa debit card. Uh, you can go on to their website, truelinkfinancial.com, and it's T-R-U-E-L-I-N-K financial.com. So that's their, their website. Um, they, they really basically have three uh, uh, kind of value propositions or three opportunities uh, to utilize this card. It's, it's reloadable, loadable and reloadable. So the individual that establishes the Visa debit card uh, could be a trustee or could be a, a family member, someone that wants to monitor and uh, be aware of the spending that's going on with the card uh, is quite easy. They make it very easy to do to to sign up. So older uh, individuals that really would like to have their independence and freedom, but yet have the protection of this debit card. So mm-hmm. if there's a caregiver, um, it prevents the caregiver from uh, and the petty cash, I know a lot of people use petty cash to pay caregivers or to give their uh, their mother or father that has caregiving. Uh, to, for groceries. They, yeah, they leave yeah. cash in the home. This, yeah, leaving cash this in solves the home. that problem. Um, solves the problem. Mm-hmm. And, and you can go on the website. Uh, there are uh, tabs that can pull up a dashboard that may, without getting too complicated, it shows every transaction. You can allow certain uh, places where the card can be used at the gas station, outside of the pump, inside the gas station, um, uh, casinos, uh, banks, um, uh, magazines. uh, I think what I like about, you know, yeah, what I like about it, I like, I really like the dashboard. Um, you you would be notified in real time um, if, uh, um, you know, if someone was trying to misuse it. Uh, you can send a caregiver to the grocery store and you can turn off the ability to take cash. That's correct. So there's no cash back. Um, and so it, it, it really, and you can review it online. It's all done online. It's all digital. You can transfer funds. You can transfer immediately or within 24 hours. There's different, yeah. So they're a great organization and they are sponsoring this show. So people will be hearing uh, about them and from them uh, very soon, as soon as we got them up and running. Um, so thank you, Susan, for bringing up the debit card because John and I both wanted to give a shout out today to TrueLink because they're really helpful for anybody in a fiduciary 
capacity or, or helping a parent. Um, so let's turn to, in this final segment, John, um, I'd really like to talk about people that have um, smaller trusts and perhaps it's, it is feeling a little complicated or they would love to have somebody else uh, managing it um, where they can just simply get reports and, you know, interface with their loved one rather than themselves. Um, give me, give us some options here. Talk yeah, they, about, they, yeah. I, I think many people are becoming more and more concerned and interested in third party uh, independent uh, fiduciaries to manage trusts for their, uh, their loved ones. So, uh, banks, unfortunately, are sort of headed in the wrong direction here uh, across the country. And the bigger the bank, the the less interested they are in smaller trust accounts and administering trust accounts. So mm-hmm. uh, when I have somebody, my bank has uh, is one of the few uh, in this state that really don't have restrictions like that. But at, at some point, it becomes just unfeasible to pay the trustee fee for a corporate trustee uh, at a certain level, at a certain percentage versus having uh, somebody else uh, serve in a fiduciary capacity. So uh, oftentimes when uh, I have somebody give me a call and say, would you mind being a trustee for uh, my uh, son or daughter and there's $20,000 in the trust, um, and if they have a disability, uh, I turn to uh, a pooled charitable trust and and, and to, to refer them to. So Susan, maybe you could talk uh, real quickly, I guess we've got a few minutes left here to talk about the pooled charitable trust option. Uh, Yes, as part of the Medicaid and uh, Social Security um, statutes and regulations, a nonprofit entity can operate a trust where the different accounts are pooled for purposes of investment, but they're kept separate for each individual. And it's managed like a special needs trust, and most entities that have them have first-party pooled trust where people are putting their own monies into it and qualifying for benefits and third-party ones as well. Um, and they're managed as special needs trust, but because they're, they're um, managed in this pooled fashion, they're, you know, they, they, they can take smaller accounts. And in fact, quite small. I've had ones where there's $5,000, for example. But mm-hmm. again, like the regular mm-hmm. special needs trust, it's not counted against public qualification public benefits qualification. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So you have someone who, um, right, in the first party instance, they're under age 65, there's a small amount. Now, if you put that in and you're just qualifying for Medicaid, is that considered a transfer? Just for first party trust, I mean, where somebody's putting their own funds into the account, Mm-hmm. Most states, I think at this point, still consider that a gift transfer if you're over the age of 65 when you make mm-hmm. that contribution. Um, some other states have decided as, a, as kind of a state policy to allow people over the age of 65 to fund pooled trust. So I, I hope that's the direction we're going in because the Medicaid statute doesn't um, limit the funding to people under the age of 65, but then the... Um, the exception from the transfer penalty, you know, is for people under the age of 65, but a state can decide not to enforce that. So um, this, uh, this has been very helpful. Um, 
I, I, again, I'll encourage people to look at Special Needs Alliance and find an attorney because um, it, it, you know, it, it's not complicated, but it feels complicated. And there are nuances that you want to be careful about. Um, I know that, um, John, your organization is available to take trusts from other states, but there are different rules from other states. That's correct. And, um, and certainly anyone in a particular state who does this type of creation of trusts, you know, as an attorney would know what the resources are, I would think, in the community. So I would encourage people to seek out um, some some help there. So um, I do want to, before we go today, I do want to remind our listeners that this show is live each week on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Voice America. Um, You can also hear um, all of these shows on demand on your favorite podcast platform or on my website, aginglifenetwork.com. Or you can come back here to Voice America and, and find the shows here. Each week I talk with experts in the world of aging about topics of interest to you. In the coming weeks, we'll be discussing the impact of COVID on seniors' sense of social isolation, and we'll be offering solutions for that. We'll also be hearing about communication tools to help dementia, to help manage dementia-related difficult behaviors. If you have a topic you want me to explore, please email me. My goal is to leave, to have you leave um, each show knowing more than you did at the beginning of the hour. This world of aging is one with its own language. My goal is the same as yours ultimately, and that is to enhance the quality of life for those you care about, and for those you care for. I want to thank John Atwood and Susan Tamita for a very informative and enjoyable discussion. Um, there, you know, you can always find them on, on the internet if, uh, if you need to reach out. They, I'm sure they would make themselves available if you um, have follow-up questions. Or you can email me at nancy at aginglifenetwork.com and, and I will certainly... Um, speak with them for you. Okay, have a great week and we uh, hope to see you back next week. John and Susan, thank you again for being my guests. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.